This is the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast, Episode 177. Good day and welcome to this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I'm your host, podcaster and author of Fun Fantasy Reads, Jamie Davis. This podcast is exactly what the title says it is, folks. It's a show where we focus on everything to do with fantasy and sci-fi books, whether it's epic fantasy, urban fantasy, uh, space opera, hard military sci-fi. I mean, you name it, we bring it to you on the show. We try to point out and bring the best and brightest authors from all the various corners of the fantasy and sci-fi book world to you here each week. Now, um, to start off this week's show, I guess I'll just go, go ahead and jump in with my own update. Um, I'm currently between projects um, and will be taking on um, talking to a few potential collaborators over the next week about which project to start writing next. In the meantime, I'm continuing writing the brand new N-Space sci-fi epic to be released in the new Kindle Vela platform that is coming out uh, next week, actually. And uh, you'll be able to pick that up on your iOS Kindle app and via Amazon.com's website um, where you can um, pursue and read these serialized um, stories, including our story about a boy band traveling through space. Um, I hope you enjoy it. If you take a look at it, the first three episodes slash chapters are always free in each of the stories on this platform. So um, you can get a handle on whether you like the story or not, and um, then you can go ahead and pay for additional uh, chapters as they come out over time. You can always check out everything I'm up to, of course, um, by going over and checking out my reader group. Uh, Jamie Davis's Fun Fantasy Readers Facebook group is alive and well. We have a lot of great things going on over there, great chats, conversations about fantasy books that we like, fantasy movies. We'll probably be talking about the uh, Black Widow movie that's coming out um, this weekend. So uh, look for discussions on all sorts of things over there. And of course, you can also find out more about what I'm doing in all my books and other releases available for you over at jamiedavisbooks.com. And I would point out, if you're an audiobook listener, there are a couple of exclusive audiobook packages where you can get an entire series for one low price. Um, that's multiple books and even have the ability to download the MP3s if you want over at my website at jamiedavisbooks.com. Just look for the store link in the top of the page. Okay, let's jump into this week's guest. And that is author Fiona Gray. Fiona lives in the Midwest with an amazing husband and a writing cat. That's interesting. After years of technical writing and editing, her creative brain escaped into the wild, likely as a consequence of severe overeducation. She enjoys thinking non-linearly and introversion. Other people claim this is weird, which is unsubstantiated, of course. So we talked to her about her series, Professor Porter Paranormals, as well as her excellent related short story in the Summer Solstice Shenanigans Anthology, which I have a short story in as well. So um, you want to check out that anthology if you haven't already. And of course, check out my interview with Fiona coming up next. Fiona Gray, it's great to have you here on the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Welcome to the show. 
Thanks. It's great to be here. I appreciate the invitation. So um, I'm excited to chat with you. Um, I reread um, the short story that you submitted to the Summer Solstice Shenanigans Anthology again right before um, we started recording. And uh, I just love that story. It is so exciting. So we'll get into that a little bit a little bit later. But um, before we do that, why don't you introduce yourself to the readers in the audience and tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. I am Fiona Gray. That's Gray with an E. And uh, I have spent all of my life coming up with stories and creating people in my head. Um, I used to try as a kid to hide things around the house and forget where I put them so I could have my own mysteries to solve. As you can imagine, that didn't really work well, uh, but it did lead to a career in technical writing and editing, which is totally different from creative writing. So when I picked that back up again, um, I, it turns out uh, I have to go back and add description to things because I'm so used to cutting it out. It's uh, been an interesting process since I started doing that in the past couple of years. It's interesting. Um, I when I write my first drafts, I'm great at dialogue and action, but you know they're basically fighting in a blank room. Um, and I, and so my second and third passes are all what I call coloring in the lines because I you know I I tend to just gloss over that stuff because I can see it in my mind, but I don't put it on the page. So I have to go back and fill it in. Exactly. So when I read Stephen King's on writing and he talked about going back and taking out, I think it was 10% of what you've written. That is not the case for me at all. I do have a tendency um, because I love research and that's a lot of what I do for the day job. Um, I I tend to add a little too much of that. So I, I do edit that out as much as possible, but it's good for people to learn things, right? It's a process. I, you know, I'm never going to arrive at the perfect writing. I, I'm just going to, I'm always considering myself um, striving for better. Right. Continuous learning. Yeah. It's amazing. Definitely. <laughs> this, this anthology, I've learned so much. Um, I did not expect to get into it. And uh, I procrastinated on some of my most recent writing because of that. And uh, now I have 12 new accounts and a newsletter and all sorts of crazy things. Well, and, and it's well-deserved, I, I must say. I mean, I was one of the curators for the project. So I got to read the first 500 words for all 70 plus submissions that came in and there were not, none of them were terrible, but there were definitely some that rose to the top and, and said, we want to read more about this. And yours, I remember, I remember reading your first 500 words when I was rereading the short story. I, I went, Oh my goodness. I remember getting this first batch of words and getting to the end of that 500 words and the vivid image of your main character in the shower trying to tamp down the flames that are coming from her body um, is such a vivid image and so powerful that it stuck with me. That is awesome to hear. I love that. Thank you. Um, because Halima Hunt, uh, as a phoenix who cannot control when she bursts into flame, um, I spent a lot of time studying fire and how that works and uh, trying to make it so that when she slaps her hand against the shower wall, you see the blackened handprint that she leaves behind um, without burning her apartment down because I needed her to have a home. 
Yeah, and, and that was the challenge. I mean, I, but I was constantly worried she was going to burn her apartment down. Like, through the whole story, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Control yourself, woman. You've got to take care of this. <laughs> and and there is the point of the story. Uh, what does a, a solstice-born phoenix do? She's got a, a timeline until the solstice happens to figure out her magic and uh, she's got a little bit of help from some people she knows because she works at a university and she's an archivist, but uh, it's, it's an interesting process with some unexpected twists that uh, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting one of those twists. Yeah, I, I honestly, the, the, the twist, the big twist at the end, I didn't see coming at all. It wasn't what I expected and, and was really exciting to see that um, happen. Um, so, you know, it, it's, I don't want to give anything away, so I'm going to shut up because otherwise I'll open my big mouth and get us all in trouble. Um, but it, it is a fabulous short story, um, engaging all the way through, um, and and lots of twists and turns along the way that 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 really leave you guessing. And this is part of an upcoming series you're getting ready to release, correct? Yeah, uh, the book one is is actually out now, um, and I'm I guess you could say that I'm writing the series backwards. Um, this story or this series um, is the world of Professor Porter, Professor June Porter, who is the bridge between military science and folklore. Um, and an example of that is propaganda. You know, think of Uncle Sam wants you uh, to join the, the U.S. Army. Um, so she's a brand new professor in a place trying to avoid magic and uh, Halima is one of the characters in her world. Um, and, and this series goes through all the misadventures that happen from a, an impromptu Renaissance festival popping up to uh, shirts of flying chainmail trying to strangle people. You know, what happens when, when magic follows you no matter where you go? Uh, so the university is a kind of a haven for all things magical. And and I love the idea of the of the, the professor being the center of that that series, the Professor Porter series. So I'm looking forward to seeing what else comes out from that. And you mentioned flying suits of chainmail, and and I noticed in your in your bio when you sent it to me, you actually make chainmail. Yes, uh, I make chainmail mostly uh, holiday ornaments, jewelry, um, but I am working on a suit of armor very, very slowly. Um, it's it's fairly meditative. It's kind of like knitting with metal. I actually used to um, LARP back when I was younger, and I I have a shirt of chainmail in the basement that um, I made. And it was a it was a long work in progress. It took me almost a year to make that shirt of chainmail. I mean, it hangs down past my knees, and I'm a tall guy. I'm six four, so I needed I needed a little bit extra. I've, I I envied a couple of friends of mine who were like five six, and, and they're they're you're making a knee length hauberk of chainmail was not as hard for them as it was for me. Right, and it's heavy too, yes. even if you right. So. Uh, but it adds some realism as well, because if, if you know things about weapons and armor, um, I, I always think that's good to add realism. I know not not every reader LARPs, uh, but uh, I think everybody has the experience of trying to make them something from scratch. So there will be more on that in some upcoming books. I still remember the blisters I had from the pliers to twisting the links and 
making the pattern to, to, to hook everything together. Um, it was quite a process. I remember that well, but that's, you know, misspent youth of a 17 year old. Um, there, there are worse things I could have been involved with. I think that's why my parents put up with it. Uh, that, that definitely happens. So, um, I, uh, I have, so I mentioned that I was writing this series backwards a little bit. And, and the original story was from a writing prompt where you combine a color and a holiday. And you generally don't want to do a normal color that's associated with the holiday. So I was telling my husband about this and he said, okay, Halloween, my favorite holiday, pink, my least favorite color. And so um, as these mages are, uh, they have a daughter and their daughter hasn't evidenced any magic yet. And they're kind of willing to put up with any shenanigans from her because they just want her to show some magic um, and be you know, more a part of the family. The word she won't be able to protect herself. So um, it, it's always interesting to see uh, what loops children can throw into a story. Well, and, and- yeah, children, um, pets, uh, you know, random animals, any characters. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you said earlier, you know, adding the, adding the detail and the color and things, but yet sometimes that stuff just leaps out of your mind uh, unbidden and you just, you end up with something that you had completely not expected on the page um, that, that, you know, leads you to rethink the story in major ways. Right. And I'm a big fan of always keeping uh, you know, a discards file so that you can reuse it in a different way, potentially, because it, just because you don't use it doesn't mean uh, it was a bad idea or that it doesn't fit somewhere else. So if you can save your, yourself the effort, then it's always worth it. That's a great idea. I don't think I have a discards file, but I do save past. I always save past iterations of drafts. So I have a version of different things somewhere, I guess. Um, so I don't throw those things away. Um, but that's a great idea, though, to, to kind of save those things that maybe don't make it into every story, but could make it into a story. Right. And and sometimes when you put it in the same draft, you get some very unexpected stories. I'm part of a writing prompt group that um, weekly you trade prompts with someone. And it's been it's been an interesting experience in creativity because it's prompts on things that I wouldn't necessarily think of to incorporate. Um, And one of the ladies in the group uh, wrote an entire book um, after a year of weekly short stories. She strung them all together in a book. Um, There was one on plumbing that I really couldn't figure out. I don't really have enough experience on plumbing to come up with anything for that. But it's it's fun to see uh, writing prompts and, and new ideas take you in weird directions. I'm thinking like water spirits. I mean, you could have a lot of fun with like, you know, clanking pipes and water spirits inhabiting a house. Well, see, where was that idea about (laughs) (laughs) really stuck? (laughs) No, you you know, you're right, though. Um, The ideas don't always come to us when we want them to. And that's that's a challenge of being a, a fiction writer is making doing the work i mean i'm a full-time author so i really sit myself down and purposely set myself to writing and some days it's easier than others some days the words flow and some days i'm really pushing to to get the the ideas out but that's because sometimes the the ideas aren't there 
or, or not coming as quickly, I should say. They eventually get there because I just keep going until something pops up. But there's a whole lot. I, you know, it's funny. I, I tell people I, I sometimes I just have to write about making a sandwich because it's the only thing I can think of doing. You know, the character's in the kitchen. So let's make a sandwich while I think of what's going to happen next. And, you know, we, the sandwich doesn't make it into the story, but it was a vehicle for my brain to get to get to what the next thing was that, you know, something was going to come through flying through the window, but I didn't know that until the sandwich was half eaten. And, you know, that's just part of the process. Sometimes the sandwich should make it into the story. Sometimes you make want to make the reader hungry. (laughs) That's great. But you can't, you can't edit what you don't write. Um, So, I mean, I don't do this as a living yet. Fingers crossed, maybe someday. Um, and, and so when I don't have a lot of time, I'll at least try to think of new ideas for writing prompts or do some outlining. Um, and even when I go on vacation, um, you know, the last time I went to South Dakota, I was writing about, you know, this is what a bison smells like. This is what the sun on a field smells like. Um, the, the things that I'm not going to remember about the different shades of gold or the, how a prairie storm flickers with lightning, um, all of those things. So I can go back and, and look at it, um, and make it fresh. Um, especially when you can experience it yourself rather than being forced to do research. I love books. I love the internet. They're great vehicles for research, but there's nothing like real experience. I, I completely agree. And I was actually interviewing another author earlier today, the day we recorded this. And um, we were talking about doing that, comparing the research that you can do when uh, you write about, say, somebody going to somewhere like Alaska um, when you have never been to Alaska. And how do you do that research? And and she she led me to the idea that she has a friend that's lived there and a friend that married someone from there. And she used those resources to collect real life experience, um, which I think is probably even better than just doing Internet searches and reading travel logs and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all the resources you can think of. I know I spent a ridiculous amount of time researching phoenixes, um, which is why in in the story, Halima has uh, cravings for cinnamon because uh, some of the legends associate uh, phoenixes with cinnamon. Um, It's, that's not an experience I'm probably going to meet anyone who's ever had with uh, meeting a phoenix, unfortunately. When you write about magic, it's a little bit harder to to ask someone or read in a book. Well, and that's that is one of the joys of writing fantasy, after all, is that you can just make stuff up out of whole cloth. I mean, it's okay. Yeah, you can't be wrong. <laughs> Um, I have to say something here. People can't see the video. We do this on a Zoom call, but I don't save the video recording. But you have the most fabulous bookshelves behind you. I <laughs> I think I've seen in a long time. I mean, they're like they're like toweringly tall, maybe maybe six seven feet tall, filled with books. Um, I'm envious of those bookshelves. Well, thank you. This is actually only part of the library. Um, I I still enjoy uh, killing trees, apparently. Um, I have a lot of Kindle books as well, but uh, this it's nice to have hard copies sometimes. Books are, uh, they, they have a smell to them. They have a scent. Um, and uh, there's nothing like a, an experience of actually holding a book in your hands, I think. Um, 
they are, however, hard to transport. That is true. And, you know, it's interesting. Somebody was, um, I was listening to a podcast um, from the folks at Kobo, actually, about their new e-reader um, product. And the, 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 the product development VP was talking about it. And he said, you know, we had to try to come up with something because the technology of books, and I'd never really thought of books as a technology before, right? I mean, but they are a really unique technology and have stood the test of time for even, even in the face of the digital um, revolution, they have not phased out in the face of things like, like, you know, vinyl records have and CDs and things like that in the face of downloads and digital products. Um, the, the physical book has held on um, as a technology, which is very interesting. And I, and I think you're right. I mean, there's a feel to it. There's a smell to it. Um, you know, the, the ability to, to thumb quickly through the pages to find your place um, is, is something that you can't do as easily in an e-reader. Right. They say that psychologically you can remember where you are in a book more easily um, and it triggers things so that you remember what you read in hard copy more um, as well as where in the book it, it is. Um, but, but reading is for a lot of people, I know definitely for me, um, it's an experience. It's not just about the story that you can lose yourself in. It's about, um, you know, Climbing a tree as a kid because you were kicked outside and uh, and taking a book with you and just losing yourself and nearly falling out of the tree because you were lost in some story. Not that I have any practical experience with such a thing. You know, I just I'm on the inside so I can tell you something that you probably don't know yet. But the um, the uh, paperback version of Summer Solstice Shenanigans got uploaded today, the day we were recording this. So it should be available tomorrow. I've been waiting because I want a hard copy of this, this anthology. The, the, the stories in it are just so fantastic. I, my, uh, my mom, I think, is waiting for a hard copy. And, uh, and I signed my, my first paperback when she came to visit about a month ago. So thanks, mom. <laughs> hey, I did the same thing for my mom. And, you know, it's funny. My, my mom reads everything I write. So I have to be like, I have to have that in the back of my mind, even if I don't want to have that in the back of my mind. It's just living there that if, if I write a new book, she's going to read it. And um, so uh, it's great to have that kind of a fan, though, and that kind of family support. Yeah. Yeah. And my husband has been really supportive of a lot of this as, as well, um, making time to write. And actually, last night, in the middle of the night, because I was traveling for work, I got back, it was very late. He wakes up and he starts telling me about a, an idea he had while I was gone and made me write it down so that uh, so that we could talk about it more today. So it's, it's been really fun just taking walks around the neighborhood and saying, well, I have this problem in a story and I need to figure out how to not burn an entire down, town down while setting things on fire. Um, some of our conversations are weird. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the life of an author. And, you know, I, I think having that, that support from your significant other is super important. Um, my wife is what I call my alpha reader. She, she gets everything first and she's, um, she's saved some characters from, from their demise. And she's, 
um, spawned ideas that needed to fit because the story was lacking something that I didn't know. And um, so, yeah, that, that kind of support is so important to help build our stories. We don't, we don't write in a vacuum. Oh, absolutely not. Um, especially when my cat decides to sit right in front of my laptop and, uh, and try and prevent me from writing it at all. But, uh, she's wandering around in the background behind the, the phone, uh, as we're talking. So at some point, if I disappear along with the library from, from the view that you can see, uh, it's because the cat has knocked my phone over. Um, but yeah, the, the support is, is amazing. Um, you know, my, I've got friends and, and coworkers who are very supportive as well. Um, and I think they're getting used to me saying some very odd things and then muttering to myself and turning around and finding a notebook so I can jot something down very quickly and then getting back to business. Well, that's important. You, you, those ideas don't just stay in your mind. You have to write them down or put them somewhere. I mean, I, I'm, I use the notes app on my phone all the time to keep track of those random ideas that pop into my head for a story that I'm working on or a story that I haven't started yet. Um, just, just all of it comes together and you, you never know when that inspiration is going to strike. Absolutely. Yeah, there uh, there was one that a few days ago I discovered and I had forgotten about it. Um, and so it was I mentioned the weekly prompt group. So I had already written my my story for the week. But when I came up with the idea, I apparently named three random turtles in the story um, as they were being watched by a dragon. Um, and I forgot to include their names in the story, unfortunately, but it was right there in my notes app, uh, waiting, waiting for me. So maybe I'll, uh, work that in eventually. Awesome. Um, where can folks find you if they want to look you up online and follow what you're doing? Uh, FionaGrayWrites.com. And I've got a, a reader group on Facebook as well. It's, uh, all the contact information is on my website. Um, I recently learned how to start a newsletter, which is uh, a lot of stressful fun. We'll go with fun. Um, <laughs> and uh, as I managed to break several websites, I think, trying to get it set up. That's okay. I, you know, writing a good newsletter is an art unto itself. And I think sometimes I think we as creative authors make newsletter writing more difficult than it needs to be because it can be fun if you look, if you come at it from the right direction. Uh, I try to anyway, I, I don't know if I succeed, but I do get some people responding to my, my newsletters. So I guess that's a plus. Hey, interaction is always an amazing thing. It absolutely so. is. Um, so people should definitely pick up Summer Solstice Shenanigans, the anthology that's out now. And by the time they get this episode, should be available in paperback or ebook format on Amazon. And um, the, um, the story that Fiona wrote is The Fire Crown. So definitely look that story up. And they're flaming cupcakes as well. So uh, if that doesn't give you incentive to pick it up, what will? Flaming cupcakes and more from Fiona yeah. Gray. Fiona, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you here on the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Make sure you catch up with us for a whole lot more from the fantasy and sci-fi focus community, both on Facebook and over at fantasy-focus.com. Leave a comment on this episode and let me know what's on your mind. 
Also, on the website, don't forget to subscribe to the show. There are links right there at the top of the page below the audio player, iOS, Android, even by email. You can get the episode updates when a new episode is released. And you want to do that because there's some great authors coming up, including my next chat with Gemma Clatworthy in the next episode coming up. That's it, though, for this episode. So I want to thank you for checking out the show. As always, I'm your host, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy Reads. Don't forget to follow me over on Facebook in my group, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers, and at my website, jamiedavisbooks.com, where if you want, you can get a free book. Just sign up for my newsletter while you're over there. Whatever you do, subscribe and come back here for the next podcast episode. And in the meantime... I'm going to remind you, as always, to keep your eyes open while you're out there, folks, because whether you know it or not, there's magic all around you.